0: Big Law Business is sponsored by Bloomberg Law. Bloomberg Law is an all-in-one platform that provides fast access to the information law firms and legal departments need. To request a trial of Bloomberg Law, go to bna.com slash Bloomberg Law. Welcome to Big Law Business. I'm Josh Block. I oversee multimedia for Big Law Business. I'm joined by Casey Sullivan. Hello, Casey.
1: Hi, Josh. And I'm Casey Sullivan, and I write and edit articles for the website.
0: Twice a month, Casey and I record this podcast about the most notable recent business of law stories, the stories that impact the largest U.S. law firms. To kick things off for this episode, which we are recording on February 3rd, Casey broke a story last week that has become one of the most read stories we've had on on our website. The story was about the law firm Schiff Harden. Casey, what happened?
1: There was a group of about 22 partners who decided to jump ship from Schiff Harden. It's a Chicago-based law firm, has about 300 lawyers. It was a huge deal in the legal industry. Everybody was talking about it, you know, what it really means for the firm and what the group's plans are. It's led by a partner named Ron Safer, and the group is also led by Bob Riley, who's an executive committee member at the firm, uh, really high ranking.
0: The story sort of set up an old guard versus new guard conflict that was going on at Schiff Harden what did you learn and what was happening there?
1: Well, one of the lawyers that I spoke with who worked at Schiff Hardin said that this group was led by a group of lawyers who had represented the past leadership of the firm. So Ron Safer was the former managing partner of the firm. Bob Riley, he was the chair of the firm. Marcy Eisenstein is the new managing partner. You know, this person who I spoke with wasn't in management per se, so we're sort of one step removed here. But generally speaking, I was told that these lawyers uh, didn't necessarily see eye to eye on all of the management decisions that were happening within the new leadership, um, that the new leadership was a, a bit more numbers driven, looked at hiring decisions with a greater deal of scrutiny. That said, I spoke with uh, Ron Safer, who is leaving, and he disputed that that was the reason why they were leaving. But didn't deny that there was some
0: difference at, at one point in times. We get breakaway stories, groups breaking away fairly regularly. This one seemed unique. This was across practice groups, right? Tell me more about why this is a little different than your typical story.
1: I think it's really the proportion of the firm that it represented. You know, I was told that it was estimated to make up around 20% of the firm's equity partnerships. When you take that significant of a chunk of law lawyers out of, a, out of a firm, it raises all sorts of questions about what's next for the firm, whether they're going to you know try to look for another firm to join up with. And you see this happening all the time in the legal industry now. It's sort of the new normal. I mean, we see it at, it's kind of commonplace, even though it's a big deal every time it happens. Uh, you have it at Dickstein Shapiro at the moment. We've seen it, you know, we saw it last year at Bingham McCutcheon, Patton Boggs. I mean, the list just keeps going and going. Questions still out about what this means for Schiff Harden the firm's managing partners said that you know this departure isn't going to materially affect the business trajectory of the firm because they focused mainly on asbestos litigation which is something that uh, the outgoing Ron Safer disputed wholeheartedly and said that they represented clients in a much broader range of practices than that did you get a sense
0: of the clients that these partners have worked with
1: what i was told was that there was a memo that went out and According to the partnership agreement, any departing partner needs to alert the firm of you know any clients that they intend to communicate with. You know, I was read a, a few names off that list. Among them were uh, United Airlines and uh, a couple other high-profile companies. But whether they'll end up taking those clients with them successfully to their their own boutique, we don't know. They're still practicing at Chef Hardin uh, at the moment. They're still bound by their
0: obligation to the firm to not really talk about it. But it's fair to say that we have seen that clients tend to stay loyal to the attorneys they've been working with.
1: Based on our interviews with general counsel as well, I think that we interviewed the Newegg GC early on last year who said that, you know, it's it's the lawyer, it's not the firm.
0: In 2015, Schiff Harden ranked 128th in gross revenue, according to the American Lawyer. So that was 22 partners that just left. That's of 196 total partners. I think the breakdown is 96 equity and 100 non-equity. And again, those are 2015 numbers. So what do you think that means? What's that going to mean to them? in their rankings, and their gross revenue?
1: It's really significant, but it's definitely too early to tell. You see big firms lose really significant groups of partners all the time, and then everybody's talking about it and making a big deal about it, but they end up being pretty much the same firm for, for years. Dickstein Shapiro, Patton Boggs, you know, these are firms that remained intact on their own for four or five years, despite, you know, having significant partner
0: departures. So as I mentioned at the beginning, this this was been one of the biggest stories we've actually ever posted on Big Law Business. You know, it was something that the legal media really responded to. A lot of people wrote about this and cited that we broke the story. How did you get this story?
1: It was actually really kind of bizarre in that... I, haven't, I don't think I've ever had this happen to me before in my time reporting on law firms. Usually I reach out to my sources on a pretty regular basis just to ask them you know, what they're looking at, what they're working on, what's the next big development to happen in big law. And I usually get stories that way, but this was actually just a direct phone call to me on Friday placed by a partner at a competitor law firm who I'd spoken with for at least a couple of years on and off, but just told me, as a heads up, just heard that there's you know, a big group leaving Schiff Harden. So I followed up on the tip and I spoke with a few folks
0: at the firm and confirmed the information. Do you have sources at Schiff Harden that you can go to? Do you just call publicists and say, this is what I heard? Can you confirm it?
1: My next step is sort of changed as my time as a legal business journalist has developed. Usually the firm doesn't want to talk to you about it if you have news about a group of partners leaving the firm, if they aren't ready to announce it yet. I'll go directly to the firm when I hear the news and see if they can even just work with me on background. If that doesn't work, which it usually doesn't, I'll call the lawyers directly um, who are in the group or who I've Heard is in the group, other former lawyers who might know about it, and do it that way.
0: Another big story since our last recording, Bracewell and Giuliani is now simply Bracewell. Like LeBron James, who famously took his talents to South Beach... Rudy Giuliani has taken his legal talents to the biggest firm from South Beach. (laughs) I'm trying too hard, right? Greenberg Trarig. We both had the opportunity to talk to the former New York City mayor. You wrote a couple of articles. I produced a series of videos not just about why he made the move. The videos were on a wide variety of topics that I think are of interest to our community. His thoughts on the Dewey criminal trial, the movement to limit law school to two years, his thoughts about the Republican candidate for president. It's a shameless plug. Everybody should go to big law business.com and check out the videos and check out our articles. But Casey, if we get back to the move, what do you think about Rudy Giuliani making this move leaving the firm that carried his name?
1: Well, first of all, you don't usually get to see Rudy Giuliani talking about issues in big law like he did in those videos, so props to you for that. But in terms of his move to Greenberg-Trarig, I mean, it it was a huge deal because Bracewell is only Bracewell. Now it's not Bracewell and Giuliani. Whether there's any significant business impact from it. I don't think that we know. I don't think that we can say. It's been reported in The American Lawyer that there was some controversy while he was at Bracewell about making public comments about Obama, still unclear about you know whether that did or didn't lead to his departure. From greenberg Traurig's perspective, I think it's a huge coup for them. They have a really well-known brand um, who is now heading up their cybersecurity practice. And the way that Rudy is is framing this is he has tackled all sorts of different issues during his career. You know, he, he took on white collar crime. He took on, you know, a number of other issues. And now he feels like this is the biggest threat to American and and global corporations that, that he wants to resolve. It's been going on for a good year or two, at least, that law firms have been getting into this space. And it's a pretty saturated market at this point. But I think it at least gives Greenberg Trower a leg
0: up. You've watched firms start cybersecurity practices and move into this area of the law. What do you think about that? Who are the leaders in the cybersecurity practices? How do you see that going? Well,
1: from what I've heard at, at law conferences, it's a huge issue that general counsel have no idea how to handle. Companies have data that they don't even know about, and they it's a huge threat. And you can have hacks at any given time, and you read it in the news, Sony, Target, so I think that in terms of the business opportunity there, it's there. Who's really good at it and who's not? Everybody obviously claims to be good at it, but it's really difficult to tell. Um, you, know, I, you know, we had Raj Cohen of Sullivan and Cromwell speak at our summit last year about it. You know, you
0: have high profile lawyers at pretty much every firm that's, that's claiming it. When I asked Mayor Giuliani what happened, how he left, whether he reached out to Greenberg Traurig, if Richard Rosenbaum, the former CEO of Greenberg, reached out to him, if somehow he was pushed out, um, we didn't get a lot from that. We heard about the Obama comments that he had made a year ago, and one report, I think in The American Lawyer, sort of suggested that was something that his partners at Bracewell were upset about, but that was almost a year ago. So do you have a sense of... What happened? Why he left? Are we just speculating?
1: What I have noticed is that there have been a number of other departures at Bracewell since Rudy left. So we had an IP partner, Mark Mutterpearl join a boutique named uh, uh, Zeisler. Kind of Difficult to tell what's going on. There, there's there was another group in Dallas uh, led by the former chair of Bracewell's uh, financial services practice. It was a five lawyer group that joined Alston and Bird. So there's there's changes that are going on at the firm, as there are at a number of firms at this time. January is a really active time for lateral movement, but it's it, you know it's it's really difficult to tell. I think that the firm will all always say that you know it, it will always downplay the move, and the firm that's hiring them will always upplay
0: it. Mayor Giuliani positioned it as he wouldn't be able to accomplish the things he wanted to accomplish in cybersecurity at Bracewell, and that was his one of his stated reasons for the move. And when he said that, he said you know, a lot of good things about what a great time he had during the period of time at Bracewell. Now, probably less known is that this is, I believe, his fifth Firm in big law that he's gone in and out, but the Texas lawyer actually reported that Bracewell was actually planning on changing their name anyway. Now I know that that Mayor Giuliani, when he heard that, he said, "Well, that's that's news to me." Do, what do you make of that? Is there some bad blood here?
1: You don't change the name of your firm for no reason. <laughs> you know, there, there's something there, and the fact that Rudy didn't know about it. I mean, come on.
0: <laughs> well, that could also just be Bracewell's story. Now that he left, right? I mean.
1: Right, right. No, that's true. But it seemed bizarre to me. It seemed like, what? Rudy doesn't know that they they were going to change the name. And yeah, we have Rudy saying that, yeah, they're on good terms and everything. And then they say things like
0: this. You know, obviously he grew, he grew the New York practice from nothing to, I think it was 90 some lawyers. What's the effect on Bracewell? What's
1: Well, the- I mean, I, I was always really unclear about how involved Rudy really was with Bracewell and and Giuliani. I mean, I I had reached out to him a number of times when I was at Reuters on different law firm business stories and I never ended up speaking with him and it was never clear to me um, like, how much of a Practice. He was really keeping up, and how much he was in politics. So law firms get these big name hires from the government and who who are politicians. You know, Dentons announced a few of them last year. Newt Gingrich joined the firm. He's on Fox News all the time, and it's usually a great marketing tool for the firm. But from the consultants that I speak with, who actually advise these law firms on their finances, these people don't usually. They're they're not the biggest business generators. And Richard Rosenbaum, the CEO of Greenberg Traurig, he tells me that I wouldn't expect them to be billing, you know, a 1,000 or 2,000 hours a year. And usually you don't have leaders of law firms confessing that in stories. So, like, I mean, how big of a business impact? I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not looking at their books, but just as a general rule, you know, the bold face names don't always translate to business.
0: So there's more news from Greenberg Traurig today, a possible tie-up with a, a London law firm. Tell us about that.
1: It was a very interesting announcement. Greenberg Traurig announced that they confirmed that they were in preliminary discussions with a, a London-based law firm called Berwin Leighton Paisner, and this firm has about. 800 lawyers in 12 international offices. Greenberg has uh, 1,900 lawyers in 38 offices. The combined firm would make a firm with more than 2,500 lawyers all over the world. And what was really interesting about the announcement was that they were they were c- announcing a confirmation of preliminary talks and you don't usually see that so like what are they confirming i didn't see any reports in the press although i may have missed it i saw on twitter afterward that legal business a uk publication had inquired about about this and they were reacting to that
0: Usually at this stage, what you get is a no comment, right? Or a we're not gonna confirm or deny that. That's right. So this was you, this is a strange
1: Unless maybe, you're unless you're Dentons right. when you're announcing
0: that you're in talks with pretty much anyone, but Yes, we should all assume that Dens is in talks. In this instance of Greenberg Charig, are they just saying it wouldn't be that big a deal if law firms went ahead and confirmed that they were in talks, right? I totally agree. Yes. <laughs> so it's 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 just an interesting stance here because it might happen, it might not happen. That's part of the confirmation.
1: Well, I should actually contradict myself here. It's actually a pretty big deal. I mean, you're affecting lawyers' practices pretty significantly. Whenever you're in talks with another firm, it's going to affect whether you might have a conflict uh, if you're advising a client. You know, if, if one firm is advising patent trolls and the other firm is advising uh, technology companies, that's significant. And questions about leadership disputes arise so it's really sensitive and I understand totally why it's sensitive but there does seem to be more engagement from law firms with the media about these discussions I will say that
0: do you have a sense of the timeline with this
1: my sense is that it's pretty far off although I mean they said they said really early discussions right
0: A little bit of follow-up from our last podcast, when we talked last, Brian Cave and Dickstein Shapiro were in talks. Now Dickstein has a new dance partner, Blank Rome. One former Dickstein partner called them, quote-unquote, deep talks. What do you know there?
1: One of our sources said that they thought that the deal was going to be done by the end of January. The end of January has come and gone. We are now into February. We're hearing that there should be an announcement imminent. But anytime anyone puts a timetable on a merger, i found that it usually gets blown, and that's why lawyers don't like putting dates to things because it's always shifting around. The last that we have heard, you know, the firms were in discussions. It wasn't necessarily a true merger. It could be that the firm is actually picking off a large chunk of Dickstein's lawyers, that lawyers in the practices that blank room doesn't want to take on are joining other firms. And if that's the case, that would make sense because we've seen a number
0: of uh, lawyers leave
1: for other firms.
0: If that's the case, how much is left of Dickstein? And if it's just a blank Rome talking about picking up a significant number of the practices that are at Dickstein, what would be left of Dickstein?
1: It's a good question. Right now, I believe their website lists fewer than 140 lawyers. And so you're talking about maybe the majority of that. And my understanding that it's, it's mainly a Washington, D.C. play. We saw a group of... Of lawyers in Connecticut depart to Holland at night. We saw, I think, a lawyer in L.A. leave the firm recently. So, yeah, I think that it's mainly a large acquisition in Washington D.C. Any sense
0: of when you think you'll get any more on this?
1: We've heard imminent, but I would take that with a, a grain of salt. You know, this it, it may not happen. It may not happen. Firms can be in deep in discussions and then pull out at the last minute. We saw, we've seen firms go to vote and then have it not happen, so we'll see.
0: Right after we recorded our last podcast, we got news of a major law firm layoff. Reed Smith laid off 45 lawyers. I think above the law broke that story. We do like to give credit when we can. Now, it's a firm of 1,600 plus lawyers, Reed Smith, but never good to hear about layoffs in big law. What do we know about the Reed Smith layoffs? What happened? What practice areas were affected?
1: We actually don't know a whole lot about what practice areas were affected. The firm had declined to comment across the board. But um, it had affected lawyers in the United States, Europe, and the Middle East. On top of the 45 lawyers, there were staff
0: included, which they wouldn't put a number to. So the bigger question, when we hear about big law layoff stories, we can't help but worry, is this just the first of a new series? Do you expect more law firms to have layoffs?
1: I think this stuff is happening a lot more than it's being reported. At least that's what I hear from lawyers and consultants that I talk with. Because it's smaller numbers? Smaller numbers and they and they just do it really subtly and the media doesn't pick up on it because the lawyers the outgoing lawyers don't really wanna talk and the firm doesn't wanna talk. I just think that the significance of the story is that law firms are our followers and other law firms are seeing this and may take it as, you know, kind of as an, I don't know if it's an excuse or, you know, justification to say, okay, well, we need to uh, be making prudent business decisions and let's take another look at our balance sheet. And I think that's the fear. And Dan DiPietro, uh, the chair of Citibank's law firm, lending group uh, told me that he d- he wouldn't be surprised if that was the case, that other firms uh, would make similar decisions, although he hasn't heard that directly from a managing partner. I did get a tip recently from an employee at an AmLaw 100 law firm that this other firm is doing a similar restructuring as Reed Smith. I'm not going to say the name of the firm yet we haven't reported the story out yet Um, but it's definitely a data point a sign that this is happening elsewhere and there should be more to
0: come on that. So you're working on a story about another Amlaw 200 firm you think there may be something else coming and check back on BigLawBusiness.com soon?
1: Yes, yes. Keep clicking on BigLawBusiness.com all throughout your day. (laughs) Please.
0: That's all for this episode of Big Law Business. Check out our website, biglawbusiness.com. Give us feedback on the podcast there or write to us. Our email address is biglawbusiness at bna.com. Follow us on Twitter. At big law biz follow me on Twitter at JoshBlockNYC. NYC follow Casey on Twitter at Casey underscore big law the rest of the good folks who work on big law business include writer editor Gabe Friedman correspondent Blake Edwards Philip Ramsey and Paige Connor take care of the design and tech side of things Cassie Whiteside heads up the commercial operation if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of our podcast or our website please email her. At, at bna.com. Scott Mazarski oversees the whole big law business operation. Thanks for listening. We'll be back soon with another episode of Big Law Business.